On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're bringing some Yankee charm to 19th century London in the Buccaneers on Apple TV+. Taking on the news back in 80s Australia with the newsreader and discovering that you can never leave a life of crime behind in Culprit over on Disney+. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, your essential guide to every show that matters. And I am joined, as is my want, by two towering beacons of modern TV journalism, TV's Boyd Hilton, who has braved a screening, a junket, and another screening, navigating all of these things to be here today at this very specific time on a Tuesday afternoon. How you doing, Boyd? Uh, good, yeah, that is true. And I've got another screening this evening oh, coming God. up. So I'm, I'm squeezing this in between events and screenings and brunches and stuff. We are very honoured. Truly first world problems. Yes. And with us, of course, is the mistress of blessed silence, wellness guru and horrific part-timer <laughs> Kay Rivero, whose insistence on taking a holiday is the reason we are recording this episode oh. a full week oh. before it goes out. <laughs> no, we usually do it on a Thursday. We're doing it on a Tuesday. It's fine. Yeah. A Tuesday it's to fine, go out next Monday. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> a week from now. <laughs> I've had a busy schedule too, James. I've just come. I've just finished doing live radio, and I've still made it on time. So, I is mean, it schedule no but- or schedule? That's the question. Ooh, Boydie. Oh, I don't oh. know, Boydo. Boyd, what do you say? Uh, I I say schedule. Uh, or do oh. I say schedule? No, you say schedule. I'm doubting well, my own. I only no, bring no, no, this up. No. What's Boyd. on the sh- no? Boy, don't say schedule. You say schedules because you say the Do TV I? schedules. Okay. Yeah. Are you sure you're not just gaslighting yes, him? Yes, you're right. Yes. Okay. TV schedules, no, you're that's right. True. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I say it occasionally. I mentioned because you obviously give me a lot of shit for my scenario, scenario uh, pronunciation. So. <laughs> scenario, yeah. So yeah. I'm gonna- I heard you. By the way, this is like I, I, in the last Empire podcast, for some reason you said scenario about 50,000 times more than usual. Yeah. <laughs> I need to wean myself off scenario and go back to scenario because I, I do have generally a dislike of when English people use American pronunciations. I'm like, you know, stay oh, in God, your lane, yeah. guys, stay in your lane. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I need to I need to fix that, maybe, possibly, perhaps. Well, in this particular scenario, we are going to move on to what we've been watching, uh, and I'm going to point the finger of doom squarely at Kay. What have you been watching? Right. So the only thing I've watched this week, so it's been a busy week for us. Um, was something I watched for work and it was, and boys already talked about it, so I'm not going to bang on, but it's banged up. And God, I, I found it horrific, absolutely horrific, horrific. So this is the Channel 4 show where celebrities and Tory MPs have basically gone into this decommissioned prison. Boyd spoke about it at length, very eloquently, I think last week or week four. Um, but it made me feel physically sick. I honestly, James, you cannot watch a show. It will break you watching it even trying to like imagine how you'd fare in there i, do I don't not think he was think. no i wasn't <laughs> <laughs> well in case in case he got tempted i just want to say don't definitely don't because um yeah it's just it is horrific um the things that the celebs go through because these reforms um sell these um inmates have sort of like been told to act as they would when they were in prison and oh my god it is just yeah it is bad times I mean, let's just say this: you, one of the Tory MPs Sorry. gets some cigarettes out of another gentleman's um, anus. That's that's all you need to know. What? I don't think yeah. I need to know that. But the thing is, surely, like the, the, <laughs> the threat of this is mitigated by the fact that they can't physically hurt them, or the broadcaster will get the shit sued out of them. I know, but James, even so, it's they're so intimidating. Some of them. And there's a guy called Marcus who uh, Boyd referenced, right? Saying that I liked him. He's from Gogglebox, and he's a really affable, lovely guy, right? And he's quite tall, and you know, um, you know, it looks like he could like 
hold his own. He goes in there and they just literally, and they try and like, you know, buddy up to him and be like, but they want him to essentially bully Sid Owen, aka Ricky. Ricky! Um, and he won't. And, and and so then they get become really menacing and awful to him. And like, yeah, you do in the back of your mind know that he's not going to be able to have the ki- shit kicked out of him, but it still feels really scary. Tom Rosenthal's in it. Who is who is a friend of mine, but he hasn't arrived properly. Has he? Have you watched the first two K? No, I, I'm not. I'm not going to watch anymore. I can't face it. Oh, okay. But it's too that's not to say. Yeah. yeah, it's not to say. It's I not think good. It it's worse. just I find it too. Really? How can yeah, it? I like think, it, oh because man. In the because they show clips of I've watched the first two episodes, and at the end of the second episode, they show highlights of what's coming up, and it is worse because first of all, someone shits in the shower. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> never good. Secondly, never good. Never good. And secondly, Harvey kind of more or less gets kidnapped and held hostage. <gasps> I believe. Oh, yeah. Is this a spoiler? Um, I don't know. He's no, too. That, he's no, too pr- I mean, he is too pretty to go into prison. That's what, what my yeah, feeling yeah, was yeah. when I saw yeah, him. Yeah. And Tom Rosenthal, who hasn't even arrived yet in the first two episodes, he gets pretty harsh treatment as well. So I think somehow they must have got them because they're all—they're definitely what you would just dis- what you would say technically um, assaulted. You know, assault—you don't have to actually physically. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's the battery you know, part. But they, mm. yeah, right. So in this series, they definitely the celebrity inmates definitely get up close and personal very much with these scary ex-cons, right? And I think they must have signed some kind of release where. You know the the production company is not is not liable for any I don't know harms that come to them because it is gets really hardcore. I do think it's one of the most hardcore reality shows I've ever seen. Just to be yeah, clear, so your friend Tom who's on it. Have you chatted yeah. to Tom about his experience on it? No, I haven't. No, no I feel like you should do I, I'm, that. I'm waiting to see. Back. Yeah, I will. I will. Yeah, I'll try and do. So that, we get the yeah. inside track. Yeah, I want to see. I want to hear like what we didn't see. If there's, no, if there's anything yeah. that was cut out and horrific. Um, yeah, and- I'll, I'll get hold of him. I do remember asking him to come on my Oscar podcast, which he does regularly, and getting the reply, no, he's going into prison. <laughs> I was like, okay, for this, <laughs> Fair for enough. this show. So, Fair yeah, enough. There you go. <laughs> okay, Kay has been banged up. That makes absolute sense. Boydie, what have you been watching? Well, I'll tell you what I've been distracted by today. Listen, listening to it on and off on the radio on the way to the various screenings I had this morning and then on my way back um, home for this very podcast that we're recording is Dominic Cummings giving giving evidence oh God. to the COVID inquiry, yeah. which is absolutely extraordinary. I don't know if you've seen it. There's what, what where, the top and it includes the top line for me is that he in his in WhatsApp messages he described various politicians as fuckpigs. <laughs> Pigs. What the fuck? fuck? And, oh my god! What know, the actual fuck? Yeah, and morons and c words. I mean, words. fair enough. I don't. I don't know why I'm censoring Oosh. the c word. It just feels. I don't know. I, I have. He I have a is. c word question for you after this. But carry on. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Um, it is unbelievable. Yeah. Fuck he, pigs he might be my just, new my dish yeah, of choice. It's good, isn't it's it? It's good work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that has been unbelievable. I've been obsessed with that. And then the other things, uh, uh, this morning I did go to, obviously heavily embargoed, and this is back to the usual annoying stuff coming up that we're going to review soon. Boat Story, which is the new one from the Williams uh, brothers, I, I watched this morning. And I won't say what I think of it or anything like that, but just suffice to say it's it's fascinating. And this is the one Daisy with Patrick Joseph. Daisy Haggard. Yeah. 
Um, Joan Scanlon's in it. Checky Cario's in it. The, you know, the brilliant guy from The the Missing, both series of The Missing, and then his own spin-off show. Joanna Scanlon's in it. So it's got this brilliant cast. And um, it's uh, all I would say is it's a lot. There's, even by the Williams Brothers standards, like, you know, The Missing. And what's the one the, the one they did with uh, Jamie Dornan? You know, The Tourist. Um, it, it, it's it's a lot. Yeah, there's, it's it's kind of quite quite epic. So I saw that this morning. Um Full review to come soon, and then um, I have been researching because I'm I'm hosting the Q and A on Friday. I don't know if I mentioned this last week. Uh, the Jason Isaacs as Cary Grant series, which is coming up on ITVX, yes, Archie, and so I'm hosting. I'm interviewing him and uh, the fellow cast members and creator, and I've watched all four episodes of that. So that's been taking up my time, and that's just fascinating. Just seeing Jason Isaacs as Cary Grant. Um, is fascinating. I've even I even got this book. Look, I bought this book on Amazon. Serious, so I get this research. I'm showing Gosh. Kay and James yeah, the book. Very good. Yeah. I mean, this is just a Which sign is, of what SWAT you are. Brilliant. Yeah, Diane Cannon, who is his wife, his 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 uh, last wife. She's going to be at the screening, right? She's in in oh, wow. Yeah, and a lot of it's based on this book um, that she wrote about um, Carrie, her life with Carrie Grant, and she's going to be there. So it's quite it's going to be quite. Are interesting. you nervous? I am a bit nervous for this one, yeah, mainly because of the, this fact that she's there and her his daughter's going to be there, who also is one of the exec producers. So it is going to be really fascinating. Laura Aikman plays Diane Cannon, and she, she's on the panel. So that, like, for her, I'm, I'm interviewing someone who's played this role, and the woman who is that role, <laughs> the living, breathing human being, is there in the audience watching her on the screen and then watching me interviewing her. It's It's crazy. So, yeah. That's all coming up. Try and avoid saying the word fuck pig at any point. That's yeah. my advice. <laughs> I will. I will. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. yeah. And I will take that advice fully on board. And the other thing I've been doing, I know it's not TV. I mentioned it in, in, the, um, in the Plus pod, but it has been taking up a huge amount of my time because it's seven and a half hours long. It's the audio book of the new Alan Partridge um, book, Big Beacon, uh-huh. Big Beacon, which is one of the, fun- one of the, f- <laughs> just one of the funniest things ever. Um, every there's lo- there's loads of so much. One of the exciting things is Dermot O'Leary, uh, my friend Dermot O'Leary appears, pops up in it at one point because he, c- he constantly refers to real people in it, Alan Partridge, and it, and Dermot O'Leary pops up as having taking part in a brunch um, party at Esther McVeigh's house. You know Esther McVeigh, who's a TV presenter turned Tory politician, <laughs> and then there's this whole list of people at this fictional event. It's absolutely hilarious, honestly. So yeah, a lot of my time has been taken up listening to Alan Partridge. Extraordinary. Now, you'll remember I said I had a C-Unit question for you, uh, and that was a number of people wrote in actually last week to say that the greatest thing on TV has been (laughs) what was described as a Liz Truss lookalike calling Matt Hancock a weasel-faced C-Unit. Yes. I don't know what that was or what show it was, and I couldn't make head nor tail of it. What was the show? This is Channel 4's SAS who dares wins um it's there yeah and and i've seen that clip yeah it is absolutely unbelievable um well tell me the quote again i love it she calls him a weasel faced (laughs) see you yeah and he just kind of stands there nodding you know it's fair comment isn't it yeah Um, yeah who who called him that do you know i don't know who she is one of the you know one of the kind of interrogator um, isn't she yeah, one of the interrogators, oh, yeah. yeah. I yeah. thought he was one of the fellow celebs. <laughs> no, no, no. This is a proper interrogation. And he'd already like faced like massive interrogation earlier in the series from the normal people who um the normal people who are the the XSAS people who run the whole thing. 
But um, it is absolutely unbelievable to watch. Yeah, if you Google it, you'll find it. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Extraordinary. Well, uh, I, I, I don't have anything to add to that because the reason why I haven't watched much this week is because it's literally like a day after we did the last podcast. <laughs> we recorded last <laughs> oh, week's Pilot Plus quit your literally yesterday. <laughs> and it's, it's only fine. Tuesday, so I had no time to watch anything. So I have watched a show that do you know what i'm gonna say i'm not gonna say any anything critical i can say what i've seen so i've got a choice haven't i, I can say what i thought of it or what it is so i could what do you so pick one what should i do should i tell you what I mean, i've been watching I, or what i thought of the thing 100%, i've been watching percent. just say what the hell the thing is because okay, that's and just frustrating not give any critical yeah just advice. just say what you've watched and i that's have been it, watching scott pilgrim takes off oh uh, mm. yes yes and that is all i will say about that good uh, to hear I, is it from what I've read, it's literally like the same story as the film. Is it or is it is it no. not? It's, okay. Oh, so right. okay. and Fine. I can talk about this because Brian Lee O'Malley, who's the creator of the comic, the uh, and uh, Ben David Grabinski, who's the showrunner of this series, uh, they've talked about this quite a lot. So bear in mind it's been like twenty years since the original Scott Pilgrim, you know, comics came out and a lot's happened there. So it's been kind of reinvented. Like they've worked together mm. to tell a kind of the same story, but not the same story. Like it's, you know, okay. they, they almost threw it as there are some changes. Let me tell you, there really are some changes. So weirdly, I would say, obviously without any kind of critical appraisal that might or may not break an embargo, it's a very, or it looks like it will be, a very interesting companion piece <laughs> to the film because it is not the same story, but it is the same cast. So... There you go. And Edgar Wright is exec producer. Edgar, right? and he's, he's, to be fair, I believe Edgar yeah. Wright brought everyone together. So he's been integral to getting yes. this off the ground. Like he's, yes. he's he's a huge part of it. Uh so yeah, it's it's a it's a fascinating entity. That this exists is, is mind blowing. And the way it's been done is also mind blowing. Whether or not the quality is mind blowing, you'll have to wait until the embargo lifts to find out. Uh, and the other thing I've been watching, Boydie, is I've been re-watching this third season of The Morning Show uh, in snippets. And the reason I've been doing oh, yeah, that yeah. is because I am doing a spoiler interview with Charlotte Stout, the showrunner of season three of The Morning Show, immediately after this podcast recording. I'm jumping on Zoom with her to talk all about the ins and outs and the spoilers and the developments uh, of the final season. Now, as this episode goes out, I think episode nine of The Morning Show will have aired. So we'll have one more to go, which will be next week. And then once that has aired, we need to record our bit and then we can stick our spoiler special up on the Pilot Plus feed. So exciting times. Be a rare Pilot Plus discussion where you involve uh, That's right. Kay and, Kay and I mean, me. it's exciting, yeah. isn't it? You're invited. I mean, yeah. Kay's invited. Mm. But but I've declined. But, I, I will decline oh. on the basis that I haven't watched. Yeah, which is what I was going to say. No. I'm pretty sure Kay hasn't Why watched not? all of the of the series. Well, I'm currently knee deep in the newsreader. You are. That is oh. true. I can, mm. I can only watch one later. news show. I see. Uh, based drama. I see. At That's time, fair. See. They are yeah. thematically similar. They are thematically similar. No spoilers. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, they are thematically similar. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Well, at which point, let's wrap up this uh, particular section of what we've been watching and move on to this week's listener question. This week's listener question comes from Sarah. And Sarah says, James, I was today years old when I realised Pedro Pascal is in The Good Wife. Yes, six episodes of The Beloved Good Wife. As a DA or something, I wasn't looking at the screen. I heard his voice, 
I knew it immediately. I looked at the screen thinking, wait, where is Pedro? I, I had to look it up. I didn't recognize him without the mustache and swagger of more recent years. So question for the pod, what actors slash roles surprise you on a rewatch because they are now way more famous or are associated with a different persona or genre today? So before they were famous type castings, I mean, obviously, as you know, I've been toying with Friends recently. And let me tell you, there's a lot of it in Friends, like a lot of it. Okay, I'm going to get So, you know, the I want to say season one, you know, where Joey gets he's uh, he's before, you know, obviously he's trying to get into an actor. He's working in the department store as the fragrance guy and he's spraying oh, Deshaun yeah, yeah, yeah. for men. And then that guy goes, hombre, <laughs> that's Clint Eastwood guy comes in and he turns out his name is Todd. You know the one? Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, you know they they fight over a girl who works at the department store. That girl yeah. is Emily Proctor, aka Ainsley Hayes from The West Wing. Really? Absolutely. Okay, true. that is a quite a good one. That's yeah, good. that was a good one. That and I was like, oh my god, it's you! And actually, if we're on Pedro Pascal, Pedro Pascal is in an early episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer as well, when he is all of about 15, 16 years old. Like it's insane. Um, but yeah, he's in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy saves him from vampires, I believe. Or no, or is he a vampire? I think he might have been. She might have slayed him. She might have literally slayed him. I can't remember. Uh, but yes, but he was in Buffy. I was thinking about um, Kerry Mulligan, who is now a superstar, basically, uh, very much in demand uh, in Hollywood, etc. And she was in, I think the thing that kind of brought her to fame was the episode of Doctor Who called Blink. In uh, 2007, which she is the star of, basically. Yeah, see, the whole I, story kind of. I yeah. saw this. You made me watch it for mm. Pilot Plus. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, yeah. it's Carrie Mulligan in Doctor Who. Was this before she was in anything yeah. else? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, she was in a smattering of things, I think. Um, but not, you know, she wasn't big and famous. Was she, was she in the bill? I feel like everyone. Was she I feel like everyone bill? starts in the bill at some point. <laughs> or casualty, it's one of the two. <laughs> yeah, or Holby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and education was a couple of years later, for example. That was yeah, that sealed the deal, didn't it? I yeah. think like lead role in that. But yeah, she was great in Blink. She won a she won a Constellation Award for it, and she's in that more than of course the actual. Oh my god, yeah. Normal Doctor's Doctor belly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Doctor's belly in it. Yeah, famously, famously, famous, famously, <laughs> famously. Um, <laughs> Ha ha ha! The other one, um, which I remember, this is basically I've kind of slightly. I mean, I mean, it's not like I'm doing a, re a rewatch of of Homeland, for example. I'm about to discuss, but if you do do a rewatch of Homeland, you'll discover that in the second episode, um, the second series, sorry, um, there is a uh, character called Finn Walden, who is the vice president's son, and he gets someone he's killed in a hit and run accident. And guess who? Do you know who plays him? This no, kind of who? teenage boy, Timothy Chalamet. <gasps> yes. I didn't know Timothée that. Chalamet. Interesting. Yes. I've obviously yes. seen that season of Homeland. Yes. I've seen all of Homeland, but yeah, didn't, yeah. didn't make that connection. Yeah. All right, here's here's a here's one for you. Here's one for you. Go Did on. you ever watch Everwood? Yeah. No. No. Right. <laughs> well, uh, Emily Van Sand is in that, and she has a brother called Bright, and he is played by none other than a teenage Chris Pratt, who I should point out was no. also in a couple of episodes of The OC. Yes, he was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There and go. Olivia Wilde. Good, good one. Yes, that's right. That is right. Uh, Amy, didn't Amy Adams essentially start out as Jim's girlfriend on The Office, The Office US? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes, she did. The, talking of The Office, the one that I, I whenever I rewatch the original UK Office, which is quite a lot, I always think, the like, 
obviously Martin Freeman, you know, was kind of, that's what made him a star. But the fact that he then went on to be in, you know, Sherlock, um, and, and completely, you know, one of the one of the biggest shows ever in TV. Who's also in The Responder in that incredible Liverpudlian accent, etc. It feels like a completely different person from that kind of like that character that he played in The Office through to all of these things he's done subsequently, particularly The Responder, I guess. And but and of course Breeders as well. But he's you know. Like all of these roles like make you forget. It's kind of so, he looks so fresh faced in the office. It's extraordinary. He literally looks like twelve, basically. And then he went on to do all this. Well, stuff. talking about Sherlock, like Benedict Cumberbatch had quite a long career before Sherlock, before he was a leading man, when he was just a character actor. He's in Silent Witness. He was in fucking Spooks. Uh, he, he was in Heartbeat. Oh, yeah. All these sort of various and things. Nathan Barley, and I, but I remember him mainly yes. for like as the kind of because he used to play the nerdy role. You know, on, do you remember the film Starter for Ten? Like, like I remember yep. him in that yep. very, very clearly. And then he played the very, very nasty man in Atonement. Uh, which is obviously a much more yeah. high-profile film. Uh, but he did a bunch of stuff. But then, as you say, like Sherlock, that turned him from character actor to oh. leading man and shot him into the, you know, A-list, which is, which is, it's nuts that he'd spent so long playing these kind of similar characters, very character parts, and then, you know, just took one role, and you know, albeit a, the role of a lifetime, to completely switch him up. Okay, you discovered one recently because we watched the first episode of The Wire, on Pilot Plus, when you discover that Michael B. Jordan, where Wallace at? Wallace at the first season of The Wire, and it's Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, that blew my mind. Uh, did either of you ever watch Medium, the procedural with oh, Patricia yeah. Arquette? Yes. Well, yes, I did. Go to yeah. an early episode of Medium, and Emma Stone is in that, except she's not credited oh, as wow. Emma Stone. She is credited as Riley Stone. Do you know Ooh. why? Was, was she originally... No. Riley Stone, and then she realised someone else was called Riley Stone, so I had to change her name. Close. Her real name is Emily Stone. There is already an Emily Stone. She eventually became uh, Emma Stone, right. but before she'd settled on Emma Stone as a kind of stage name, she chose Riley Stone. So she's just trying some names out. Just trying some names fit. out. She was uh, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, Bob Stone. In I something sometimes, else, I'm sure. I sometimes try Kate. <laughs> yes. Oh, very good. Um, what else have we got? Anyone else spring to mind? I mean, Kate's done her one. Did you do one? Have you done one? <laughs> yeah. I did. I did Olivia Wilde. <laughs> oh, yeah, Olivia Wilde. Yeah. Hey, hey, Kay has a long-standing tradition of only ever providing yes. one answer to these yeah. questions. So, you know, Listen, perfectly fair. fair enough. Perfectly fair. The reader fair. asks one question, I give one answer. Yeah. You're like the opposite of like the, the dead bodies and Dungeons and Dragons. Who will answer five questions? You will answer one and one only. I mean, the reference is lost on me, but yes, correct. Zoe Deschanel was in Frasier. Did you know this, Boydie? No, no. Uh, who did she play? Uh, she played. Me. She played someone in the tenth season, but I don't know the actual answer <laughs> to whom. And also, uh, even if I did know, it wouldn't matter because it wouldn't mean anything to me. So you know, I think I know. I think she played like a kooky. Funnily enough, out, out, unusually, Zoe Deschanel playing a kooky woman who gets involved with either Frasier or Niles. I think I'm pretty sure. Fair. Okay. Uh, let me see if I got any other. I did look at some little bits on here to see if I could find any. Orlando Bloom was on an episode of Midsummer Murders where he played a womanizing thief. This was pre Lord of the Rings. So there you go. You can see him on there. 
What else have we got? Oh, Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield, former Spider-Man Andrew Garfield, was in an episode of Doctor Who playing a 1930s New Yorker. And it was the episode Daleks in Manhattan, which was, I guess, I mean, I call it season three. Is it season three when it's actually like season 23? I don't know. So it's the third season of the new iteration of Doctor yeah, Who. Is yeah. that fair? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, good. I can do that. Uh, people like Jane Lynch and Grey's Anatomy star Alan Pompeo turned up on Friends before they turned up on their regular things. Obviously, Ross from Friends, David Schwimmer, as I discovered recently, was on NYPD Blue. Uh, ran into him. And I think that's all I've got. Except, oh yes, Meghan Markle, before she was on Suits, oh. <laughs> was on an episode of Castle. That's interesting. I didn't watch. I only watched a few episodes of Castle. I didn't watch an awful lot. So I never saw her on there, but there you go. Kay watched all of Castle, I believe. <laughs> What was that? She's was like, it- what is that? What was that? <laughs> it was the uh, Nathan Fillion procedural show where he plays an author who teams up with the police. Uh, uh, I watched yes. it because it was Nathan Fillion and then, of course, realised it's a procedural. I hate procedurals and I stopped. <laughs> yeah, I think my friend did the makeup on that, actually. But yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, do you remember? So I used to watch Alias religiously. Obviously, Bradley mm. Cooper had a very minor, mm. well, I said very minor. It wasn't a yeah. minor. It was, it was a supporting, recurring supporting role on Alias early on as uh, a Sydney's love interest. I believe he gets killed horribly, if memory serves. Um, oh, yes. Oh, yes. There is one other, and that is Jennifer Lawrence. Did you ever watch Monk, the Tony Shalhoub procedural? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. She played a furry in Monk. Well, I say that. She played a mascot, like a, like a school mascot. So she was dressed up as a chipmunk. Like a chipmunk in a big did furry you see chipmunk costume. You did. She did take the the, the head part of the chipmunk okay. off, so you do get to see her face. So it's not just a that could be absolutely anyone. Right. Mm. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, well, comprehensively dealt with that. Yeah. See, I, I, I mean, with the aid Who of Google, let's be perfectly honest. Yeah. With the aid of Google and K, mainly. That's comprehensively answers that question. I think you'll find uh, if you would like your question addressed in tedious, excruciating detail, do feel free to send it in to me via DM on Instagram at James C. Dyer, or if you can't manage that, at Pilot TV Pod on Twitter or Instagram as well. I spoke to Ben David Grabinski, the co-showrunner of Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, just the other night, and I thought, why make you wait to listen to this interview? So I've decided to drop it into this episode as a special surprise. Uh, So yes, Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, which comes to Netflix on the 17th of November, is the show that I very much enjoyed, despite it being animated. Uh, And this is me chatting about it with co-creator Ben David Grabinski. Thank you very much for joining us. Welcome to the Pilot TV podcast. And uh, I am entirely digging your Laura Palmer skateboard deck that you've got hanging on the wall there. It is awesome, and I love it. Please send it to me. No, well, I would, except that I really like owning it, so I might keep <laughs> it myself. Let's talk about Scott Pilgrim, because this show is absolutely wild. And uh, it has to be said, not at all what I was expecting when this was announced. I thought, oh, great, you know, this is a chance to watch the film again, but, you know, with the visuals from the comic stretched over a longer runtime, really excited about that. But what you've delivered here is much more than that. Like, it's a familiar story, but also a very new one with a very different perspective or set of perspectives. And I just wonder if you could kind of talk us through, like, the evolution of that idea from what I'm assuming began as just Scott Pilgrim, the animation, to what it ultimately became. Well, uh... I guess the simplest way of putting it is that um, Edgar Wright had reached out to Brian Lee O'Malley about doing this. Uh, I know the science star on Netflix wanted to make an anime adaptation of the show. Edgar thought it was really important that Brian would be involved. Um, and But Brian didn't want to do a straight adaptation. Um, he just felt like he'd been living with it for so long. And then 
to spend like three years of his life being involved with the show that was just the same thing again felt like just the wrong move and we were having just a lot of discussions about how we could tell the story in a different way and i just had some big ideas that he immediately responded to and we weren't even having a meeting it wasn't like i was pitching him we were just hanging out and talking and um you know some of the stuff will become evident once people actually see it but there's uh some very uh big surprises in the show that i uh kind of uh <laughs> thought would be very fun and exciting for fans and brian uh was really into them and it just led to like a multi-year process of the two of us working together on it to try to make something that felt like really surprising and rewarding for people who are really into the Scott Pilgrim and all of that stuff. And also would work for people who've never seen any version of it. Like when, when it was talked about, I think you and Brian have both said, you know, it's been been like, what is it, 20 years or something since the, the first comic started? Why don't I make a few changes, you know, maybe update it, a couple of tweaks here and there. And then you watch it and it feels almost like a multiverse story, like a what if, do you know what I mean? Like what if this one thing that happens happened differently and like what would happen thereafter? Was that kind of like the, the starting point for it? Well, it's a very tough thing to talk about without spoiling because I of think course. that's a, one of the things that we felt from the beginning is that so much of the enjoyment of the show would be based on having no idea ever exactly where it's going. Um, but yeah, the, we just had a bunch of ideas that mainly started from the point of wanting to spend some more time with a lot of characters who kind of get sidelined in the other adaptations or version of this and trying to come up with a story that gave us that opportunity. I mean, the most important thing was just, we really wanted to be able to do more stuff with the exes and we wanted an opportunity to have some characters who had never met each other before or shared the same space to be able to, uh, have kind of new dynamics or conflicts or relationships. And just, we just thought there was a lot of opportunities for stuff that would be funny and dramatic and also maybe emotional too. I mean, our hope is that some of it is um, a little bit more uh, impactful than people might expect as well, you know, but in most of it, I'd say is just kind of a fun ride, but we did, we did kind of want to, explore some themes that are kind of complicated and, and emotional and hopefully I mean, we'll find out if people thought we pulled that off i mean but, i would i would think there's a very strong chance they will like it, it, it as you say goes to some really interesting places and it feels a lot like almost each episode pushes the boat out a little bit further than the one before it like you think oh, okay i've got a handle on what they're doing now and it's now like, oh, no you really don't have a handle on what they're doing. Like he pushes it very far out. And I kind of, I really do think a lot further than people will expect from this. And I wondered whether, you know, did you ever wonder if you were going too far? Was the point you're like, how far can we actually push this idea? No, I mean, I think the thing that's really helpful is you have Brian who created Scott and has lived with this for 20 years. And then I'm a huge fan. And I think between like my fan brain and his like actual expertise, uh, it kind of, um, it felt kind of safe because we were very hard on it and we overthought every decision like completely. It was, there isn't a single thing in the show that we didn't have 10,000 conversations about between the two of us. And we just sort of feel like at the end of the day, everything that happens feels very much of the same voice, but 
what you said is the intention is we didn't i don't want it to feel like we just had one idea you know hopefully people will feel like this wasn't just well you know we have one new idea we want it to just constantly feel like there's always you never really know and you can never kind of get too settled in exactly what the show is going to be in a way that i hope is like entertaining like the thing that was important to me was that i didn't want to make something that felt like one uh thing chopped up into eight episodes there's like there's a lot of shows that like you know god bless them they just sort of feel like i can't remember which episode is what like i get to the end of the season I'm like i love this i really like the episode where this thing happened but i can't tell you if it was episode three or seven because it's kind of just like it's one piece that just kind of keeps ending and restarting I wanted each episode to feel distinct. So when you get to the end of this, it's hard to talk about with spoilers, but you say, oh, it was that episode, or it was this one. Oh, well, the, this one, because they each kind of have their own vibe, their own kind of point of view, sometimes their own kind of uh, storytelling approach. Um, so hopefully that'll be rewarding. The thing that's been nice is um, now that people have seen it, no one seems to have the same favorite episode, which is, which is really helpful. Um, that was kind of my hope, but y'all, when people finish it, I'll say, what was your favorite one? And it's never the same one, which I feel like means we probably, or did something right. Uh, because they all have kind of a different vibe. It's sort of, you might have just a different preference for the kind of tone we're doing with some of them. Well, I, my personal favorite at the moment is, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but let's just say the Todd episode is one that has stuck with me <laughs> as, uh, you know, that was one where I was properly like, oh my God, like this has blown my mind. Yeah, that one was uh, probably one of the more ambitious ones, but we just really liked the idea. That is a great episode. You do, I mean, you do make the most of this format, right? Because I, I must admit, like when when I saw what Edgar did with the film, and that was my first introduction to Scott Pilgrim. Like I remember going to Comic Con when Edgar did the panel there, and he showed the film there, and I picked up the comics there, and I read them. And obviously, I think the final one, the sixth one, wasn't out at that point, but I saw what he'd done in turning like a comic strip with video game grammar into this film that feels at once of a piece with the source, but also its own thing and also completely distinct from anything else was out there. And it really did very much. I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary piece of filmmaking and I'm sure you feel the same way about it, but, but to see that sort of realized in such a way and you think what he able to do on screen, I almost think that even Edgar would struggle to replicate some of the things that you've managed to do in the show. Well, there's stuff in here that like my whole background is live action and, and I'm, and I've explained this thing before and it's sometimes it sounds simplistic, but, um, most of my career is I write something and then I sit in the room across from somebody and he goes, we can never get enough days to do this. We did, there's not a location that can make this work out. Like I have to just keep simplifying, simplifying, simplifying. And with this, like there's a, the fight scene and, episode two is like i don't even understand in what universe i would need like fury road level money or just to to pull all of that off and it's just like episode two and, and that was kind of the feeling is we wanted to embrace the medium and what sar was really good at and there's some stuff too that like i'd write really vague and i would just sort of uh kind of write the fight and kind of give them all the tools to go crazy about it and then just sort of react to what they do with the boards and they would just do some stuff that i never in my wildest dreams expected like there'd be an offhand line of dialogue that i'd 
written earlier in the episode that was just a joke and they somehow incorporated that into the entire sequence and it was the best collaboration in that way and you know i think that we could never if we try to be edgar's movie we would just fall flat on our face and it would just be you know forever comparing which is impossible to pull off so i thought we had to just lean into like our own sensibility and the medium to try to just do a different energy for a lot of it because i think that I, I just didn't look i love gus van sant's psycho like i'm one of the only people who does but i don't want to make like something that feels like a shot for shot remake and what he did that was so fascinating was he took the stuff that was on the page and made it live action which is this huge achievement so to me it's like going from just the page to animation isn't necessarily i think like the most exciting thing that we could do it's part of the reason why we're trying to do a lot of new stuff as well um but yeah i'm very proud of our insane action scenes and i hope people like them and i also just think that the music that we have from is really great too yeah absolutely uh, i think gus will also appreciate that he kind of gets a nod in the uh, in the series as well there's a lot of nods in there and i can't even remember all the nods that i put in or brian and i put in or someone else did there's an episode uh later in the season that somebody watched and they're asking me about like some of the things that we'd referenced in it. And then suddenly like 30 minutes was later and I hadn't even talked, it listed like everything in the episode. I was like, oh no. Uh, but the, it's designed so that you don't need to know a single thing that we're ever referencing either visually or in dialogue or narratively to, to enjoy the show. But there's some stuff that I think will be a little bit more enjoyable if you know the deeply stupid things that we're kind of uh, getting into. This isn't, like, as you say, this isn't a remake. It's not a sequel. It feels almost like that between the book, between the film, between the show, these are kind of all companion pieces, right? It feels like you've got three distinct parts of a larger story and you can watch as many as you like in whatever order you like. Is that how you saw it? That's exactly what I what I was hoping, is I hope you could play the video game first, you could read the comic first, you could watch the show first, you'd watch the movie first. And I think that you just get a different experience, but I think they all work on their own. There's like a lot of people who their way into it was like the game. And there's a lot of people who watched the movie and then read the comic. And we wanted to continue that tradition. The hope is that someone um, could watch the show and have no idea about any other version and not even know that we're doing departures. You know, they might just think that this is just a really ambitious comic that we're, you know, we adapted um which is what we did literally but <laughs> there's stuff in it that uh you wouldn't know was as insane as it is <laughs> <laughs> unless you have the context of how insane it is i mean i think it all is objectively no matter what you know it's not exactly like we're following all normal storytelling rules here um but that's just what brian's always done i mean that was the joy of reading that book the first time is you're reading this great slice of life young 20 something comic and it's like a hundred pages in where suddenly a guy shows up and there's a big fight and you and before that there was no real genre stuff at all it was just like young people like having fun conversations being in love being in bands like having jobs not having jobs and then huge epic anime type fight you know so that kind of energy of the way it has always been in his storytelling and i just that's the one thing we're trying to do here as well is you can never really settle on exactly even like structurally what an episode might be. It's not just like every episode is a fight, you know, 
Do you think that's why the comic was so and is so beloved? Because it's kind of, it was nothing else like that. Like it felt absolutely unique when it arrived. The movie did too. And I think that my big fear was just that I don't see the upside in just doing the same thing again. I think we have to embrace what is great about these things, which is the movie felt revolutionary and so crazy. Um, And I think that if we are just trying to do the same thing, I just firmly believe that people get like get three episodes in and say, okay, I like this and this is well-made and it's cool that they got these actors back, but you know, I know the story already. And, and I, and I know some people feel like they want to like, I, I that's the, the only thing I can really say to people is before they watch it is if you feel like your only way you're going to enjoy this show is if it's like, it captures all of your favorite moments from the books. It's not going to be that. That's the only real warning I feel like giving people is that that's not like how I enjoy things, but I'm sure I could easily see that someone might be expecting that this show is like, Oh, well the things in the book that weren't in the movie, now we're going to see them in anime form. And that's not, uh, that's, that's not exactly the approach we took. But, you know, I think people, they'll figure that out enough on November 17th. Yeah, I, I think they'll they'll figure that out pretty quickly. And you you had this greenlit before you had the voice cast back, right? So if you hadn't got them back, do you think this would have been a very different project? Dude, I can't even think about that. Like, it is the weirdest thing. I never thought we would get them. And it was the only part about the show that was kind of stressful for me was... I really believed in our approach and Sara was brilliant and I knew that Abel... And their team would execute everything so well. But I never thought the cast would all say yes. And it was just a stressful concept to be like, okay, I need to get 16 actors who don't just stick out like they can't compare to these great versions in the movie. And then you don't want them to sound like them because then it just sounds like you're doing a sound-alike thing. So then we have to get like a different energy for everybody. And then you're just forever living in the shadow of that. And then they all said yes. And I don't. Even I still don't understand how, and it feels to me like something that I imagine. But since the show exists, I know that it, I didn't like it's real. I know that I've worked with all of them. We they're in the show. The show is finished, but it still doesn't make sense to me that they're in it. Like I just don't. I mean, the thing that the thing that does make sense to me, truthfully, is that they all have the best time ever making the movie. I mean, you know, they've all said. I mean, a lot of them have said in interviews like it's the best experience they ever had making a movie and i mean obviously i benefited from that but at the same time it was just so great that they really embraced this version of the story uh i was like i didn't expect them all to do it and i also was kind of shocked at how much they embraced this and how excited they were about it especially michael and mary they both were like so excited about this approach and they've seen the episodes and they love them and i that means a lot to me because you know it would have been kind of a bummer to spend years of my life doing it. We get them, and then the actors are like, well, why don't we just do the movie again? <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, that is not what happened. And did they get to hang out, or were they just recording stuff in isolation? Because obviously with voice work, you can do that. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't ever do it the same time. There's sometimes when actors would be coming like, right in after each other, and the great thing is like someone would come in and do a scene. They were hearing the performance of somebody else. 
And then they'd like be texting with that person while they're doing it. And then once that person did it and we heard them together and then they heard it, we can then actually might go back and redo the other person where we just kind of kept developing the scenes and their performances. Like there's like an evolving process to it where, you know, so you'll record one of them and then somebody else and you're like, well, actually this dynamic, you know, maybe the way Jason's playing this, we might want to lean in a little bit more here with Satya and this is just kind of a kind of a learning curve to all of it, both on our end of trying to figure out exactly how to approach through these performances for animation, but also just trying to figure out how to create the best dynamics between them. And a lot of the show is just really fun stuff with characters, you know, doing things together that you don't uh, uh, probably never expect it. And also there's just a lot of fun to it. That's as vague as I can be. Um, and it's just, it never kind of ends. I mean, there's some stuff in episode six that a pairing that is like, I'm just so, I can't believe I got to do it. And it's, and it's just, and I love what the actors do there. That's, that's as vague as I can be about it. Amazing. Well, I think saying that you put people in unexpected situations is an understatement. Uh, I'm sure, I can't wait to hear what people think of this when it, when it drops. I enjoyed it enormously. But uh, thanks so much for your time. It's uh, it's very much appreciated. And I'm sorry that it's hard to talk about this without spoiling it. No, no, I, I get it. I'm with you 100%. People should go into this not knowing what it is. That is definitely the way to go. All right, well, take care, man. Let us move on to the news. Now, I should point out two things for this particular episode is that this is probably going to be quite a short episode because there's going to be no news because there has been no news because the week hasn't happened yet. So we could try and predict the news that's going to happen over the next seven days. We can't. But what I can say is when we did the last podcast, uh, the listener question we kind of ignored, but what we did talk about in the last week's podcast was our favourite member of the Friends cast. Now, as you will remember from listening to that, I did do a drop-in to point out that literally two days after we recorded that we heard about the very sad death of matthew perry which i guess is the big tv news for this week kind of eclipsing everything else uh there have been lots and lots of testimonials uh lots and lots of in memoriams kind of going on lots of uh, celebrities speaking out about how much uh they thought he was wonderful and also frankly a lot of friends memes going around so yeah he was 54 years old it was so sad i mean it was so weird, actually, because, yeah, as you say, we would, we've been talking about it at length. And, um, and in fact, I think I was saying at one point that I think I was pop genre and the sarcasm and everything. And we're going through our favourite moments. And then, uh, and then we uh, heard the incredibly sad news. So, yeah, it has really dominated the, the headlines. And um, I was waiting to kind of hear the statement from the other cast members and... Um, yeah, we heard it recently, didn't we? Well, they released a joint statement. I think they're, they're not ready to talk about it yet individually. So there was a joint statement that they were obviously heartbroken by the whole thing, and then they will talk about it in due time. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's very, very sad. Like he he had said in his book, which his 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 recent uh, memoir, uh, that he knew that the first line of his obituary would be Chandler from Friends, and he kind of hoped that it wouldn't, but knew that it would. You know, because he did an awful lot of stuff. There's the Perry House, which has gone kind of halfway sober house for getting people off drugs and alcohol, which was a massive thing. You know, he, he dealt with substance abuse for a great portion of his life and so was very very committed to helping other people with their sobriety so that was a huge thing you know that he that he managed to give back uh and obviously he was in other things like he was in the west wing you know he was had a regular run on the west wing after after friends finished he did uh he did my beloved studio 60 on the sunset strip not everyone loved that but i very very much did he did a really lovely um sitcom called go on which was about people in a kind of morning group uh, not like as in morning, as in daybreak, but they were morning people. They'd all suffered loss, and that was what brought them together. 
It was a really kind of quirky, lovely little ensemble comedy. Uh, he was uh, certainly in, uh, I think, one episode of Cougar Town with, with Courtney Cox. That was her show. And he did another uh, couple of uh, sitcoms. He did uh, that remake of The Odd Couple. Do you remember that one? So he was in that too. And I missed a sunshine where he played, I seem to recall it was a sports sort of, he managed a sort of sports center, but Alison Janney from the West Wing also appeared in that with him. So God, he did actually a lot. I didn't realize how much he had done. He did. And he did a number of films. He did the whole nine yards. He did the whole 10 yards. He did uh, things like Fool's Rush In. I don't think any of them were huge hits. None of his films really landed. I quite like the whole nine yards. The whole nine yards was a pretty big hit. Wasn't well, it? I think it, it did right. It wasn't a critical hit, I don't think. But I think it did decent money. Three to Tango was another one I quite liked. I think I think, I think it's a really good film, the whole nine yards. I think it, got, it did get some good reviews yeah. at the time. It was one of those things that, it got quite a lot of snobbish reviews about it, but it was essentially from people like Empire. Oh, you're saying, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. That's yeah, the underlying message. Like yeah. yeah, I mean, but yeah. I mean, they weren't great films. They were quite fun. They were quite fluffy, disposable films. But he was always reliably good in it. And I know we talked about our favourite friends, but I do genuinely believe that because bear in mind he very nearly didn't get the role of Chandler. Like when when they were casting for that, they had cast someone else in that role uh, and he had been committed to another show where he was going to be playing a baggage handler at an airport in the future. Your kind of show, okay? Science fiction, sitcom. <laughs> Sign um, me up. That, Exactly. And that's when he saw the script for Friends. I remember reading that he said, like, it wasn't like he thought he could play Chandler. It's that he thought he was Chandler. Like, this was him. It was that exact blend of kind of world weariness and kind of smart alecry that was his sense of humour. And his whole thing was he thought he developed that sense of humour because he had quite a difficult childhood with parents who weren't really around. And so he, and his mother, I think, was quite tricky. So he used that humour as a way of coping with it. And that's when, so the, his sitcom, other one, fell through. And he, and then the ma- person they'd cast as Chandler also fell through. So by absolute providence he got that role and i do genuinely believe without him as chandler you know regardless of anyone else you could say this about any of them but i think more than anything else in that first season without him that show isn't a hit i really do Mm. and also you can't imagine anyone else playing him no you absolutely can't he brought something to that character which was extraordinary and everyone who quoted friends in those first couple of seasons quoted chandler every single person like all like you can like we talked about the series as a whole and i think as as we talked about a lot of the other characters grew on you as you went but in those certainly those first two years chandler was everything in that show like he was he was all of the gags came from him all of the laughs came from him he was incredibly talented comedian and a very talented physical comedian like it was uh he was he was incredible so yeah it's a it it was a, a real shock it was also um like a brilliant bloke i know you mentioned the the things he'd done uh for people and um his his biography which he talked incredible honesty about um prescription he drugs does, yeah. and the various addictions that he's gone through but he was also like because i my friend ben winston produced the friends reunion and i remember him telling me at the time that he he was the he was the hardest one to get on board uh, for various reasons you know he was the one he, he, he but he you know he he, he he was very happy to do it in the end but he said how absolutely brilliant he was to work with and how emotional it was for him and how kind he was to everyone involved and you know to the crew and everything and also like there's brilliant clips of him he i, I think he had brilliant taste so the clips that i what i saw uh, online that i that i watched again after after he uh, died where there's the clip of him on the Graham Norton show with Mira Margulies. Have you seen this I clip? <laughs> where she she talks about she's as is her won't in in interviews. She's incredibly rude about stuff in her knickers and stuff. And she has this <laughs> phrase which I won't repeat because it's so horrible, horrible. But his reaction is one of the best reaction shots in TV history. It's so brilliant. And he says something like it's the worst thing I've ever heard. And just then. 
<laughs> them bouncing off each other is brilliant. And he also, there's another clip which I love where he talks about his love of Alan Partridge. Oh, really? You know, oh, really? Was, yeah, yeah. And he, yeah. And he talks about how he goes to sleep to Alan Partridge. Just like you go TV, to sleep which is what to I me. do. Just, well, either you or Alan Partridge, <laughs> one of the same. It's At the moment, same, it's Alan yeah. Partridge, thank you, James. <laughs> yeah, we're interchangeable. Yeah, basically. Um, but I love that. What great taste he had as an American. You know, he talks about he talks about how, you know, there's loads of British references, but he gets this character and he loved that character and he says he's the funniest character in TV history. So I love that about him. And there's another clip, finally, where he talks about his love of Jeff, for Jennifer Aniston and oh, how he yeah. so loved, was in well, love he with mentions her, that in the book, which is yeah. really, yeah, he mentioned in the book as well, yeah. And that's so. So wait, moving. is this it's in weird. reference to um, her checking in on him, or was anything? No, else? I think he he had he was completely no, in love with her just, when when they were making yeah, the show. Yeah, completely in love mm. with her when they when they were making the show. Yeah, early on. Yeah, I think it was it was yeah. more which of really? a thing. I think yeah, which is the thing you don't have to admit or whatever. But he's very honest mm. about it. Yeah, he's like yeah, it's it's fantastic. But he talks about all sorts yeah. of things because he started dating Julia Roberts after she appeared on Friends, and he talks in the book about how he was so you know in a kind of fit of self loathing, he was so convinced she would break up with him that he broke up with her preemptively, and he goes yes. I then broke up with Julia Roberts. And he realizes how insane it sounds, but he's like in his head space that he was in there, he found it, you know, that was his only course of action. And it doesn't surprise me uh, when you say that he was the most difficult person to get for the reunion. Like he talks about when the show ended, he felt nothing at all. And he wasn't sure whether that was the drugs that he'd been taking or quietly, you know, the mental state he was in. But he, yeah, he really, he really, you know, struggled with it. And I think in the reunion, it comes across quite strongly when he's interviewed. He talks about like needing the laugh, like wanting that laugh, needing them to to mm. laugh at him. And to not get it was like the end of the world for him. And you can see you can feel the kind of the the pain in his recollection and the loss there. Like he's there's that there's a moment and it's actually, you know, it's quite painful to watch. There's a moment of silence after he says something. I don't know if you remember this in the reunion where it just hangs yeah. on him. Yeah, and yeah, you really yeah, feel yeah. that silence, the weight of it, like the emotional weight there. It's, it's quite a lot. It is. Really, really interesting guy, fascinating guy, troubled life. I do recommend reading his, his memoir. It's, it's very, very good if you haven't. Um, but yeah, Matthew Perry then, uh, 54 years old. Um, it, so we've only, I don't know how much other news we've got. There's probably not a lot. There might be something. Well, there's just a couple of things I was going to mention. One is Doctor Who. I mean, there's Doctor Who news every week, pretty much. But for yeah, for Who fans, it's particularly basically they've officially created a Hooniverse now. The officially titled Hooniverse, which is you know a word that obviously we've been describing anything to do with Doctor Who um, fans have anyway. But as well as the 800 episodes of Doctor Who landing on the iPlayer in the Hooniverse section, it'll have its own section of the iPlayer. But also, they're creating new content. New and um, Russell T Davis has been involved in creating new content for old for people who've been in the show like decades ago. People like Peter Purvis, Fraser Hines, Peter Davison, and Colin Baker, for, former Doctor Sylvester McCoy. All of these legendary people. They've written and filmed special like mini episodes of Doctor Who, which is so so exciting. If you're if you're a very very <laughs> Sadhuvian like me. And it's all going to be in this place, uh, in the Doctor Who special place on the iPlayer. So yeah, Dr. Russell T. Davis said, the, whole, the word Hooniverse was invented by fans, so it's time to give it official status. Tales of the TARDIS is one of the great delights of my career. To see old Doctors and companions reunited is a perfect way to celebrate the Doctor's 60th birthday. So that was uh, very exciting. And in other Russell T. Davis news, he is going to be what the subject of Imagine. You know, the BBC documentary series uh, looking at different people in the arts 
this series is like literally made for me because not only has it got an episode on Russell T Davis, it's got French and Saunders, who I love, and the Pet Shop Boys, oh, brilliant. who I love. So yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. So those are episodes, forthcoming episodes um, of Imagine. Between Morrissey yeah, and yeah. the Pet Shop Boys, you might be um, my musical nemesis. Boy. Yeah. You don't like the Pet Shop Boys. I don't like the Pet Shop Boys or Morrissey. You, abs- mm. you are you are a disgrace. <laughs> can I just say? <laughs> can I just say? I li- in the, in the, There's your quote. Yeah. In the Empire podcast, when you when 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 um the killer was being reviewed, which is the which is the film which features a lot of the Smiths on the set, you were so like annoyed about it. And I was sitting there thinking, everyone else, to be fair, all the other people on the podcast were like, Yeah, so what? There's most of Smiths on it. And you were like banging on about it, how much it annoyed you. And I thought, what a bellet. Did you? You were, now, you were drifting off to sleep and you were like, What a bellet. Yeah. Yeah. It got. I was really angry because you're like you could not accept that you know someone might put all Smiths no uh, music in a film. Well, for everyone else, pretty much it works very well. Whether you like the Smiths or not, you just have to be a bit more open-minded. Anyway, and now the bombshell yeah. news that you don't like the Pet Shop Boys either. Absolute musical. Legend don't even get me started on is- Abba. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! Who do you like music? There? Apart from those one person you like, we all know. I've been banned from mentioning it, so I can't. Yeah, good. No, do not go there. Do not start. Spoiler alert. That's good that you've been banned because, of course, her music does feature in one of the shows we're reviewing this week. That's true. That is very true indeed. Yeah. But we'll get to that. Uh, There has been some other news. There's going to be a Poltergeist TV show, which is uh, exciting, based on the Toby Hooper classic horror movie uh, from the 1980s. So that's coming up. Uh, What else have we got? Uh, Cersei Lannister a.k.a. Lena Headey, has been talking about the finale of Game of Thrones. Uh, And she said, and she's basically revealed what her dream Cersei ending would have been. She wanted to see a Cersei and Arya showdown at the end Mm. of it. That that was what she wanted for. She said that was a dream. She said ultimately they made different choices, but that's that's where she wanted to go with that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So that was a a little a little a little nugget. Did you see the thing about the uh the crown? A little bit of crown news about what it's going to cover. It is in fact going to cover the Queen's death. Oh how? Yeah, no. absolutely true. I didn't see it's going to cover. Yes, Are you sure? the Crown yeah, creator has confirmed the final <laughs> season. Well, I say we'll cover. It will address the Queen's death. How it will address it? I couldn't mm. say. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How will it? How will it do that? Because the the second half of the last season. Hang on. Is hang on let me just check my shooting scripts for the new to... season. Just no, no, can't mm. say. Uh, mm. I've no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but like it. William William's going to university. Charles and Camilla getting together. But like I, can, I can see it. I can imagine it how they just do one thing. Do you know, the, after telling that story, focusing yeah. on those stories, it feels say, like oh, okay. I can yeah. see them doing... Like an epilogue. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Like so, epilogue, so Peter yeah. Morgan essentially yeah. said, because of how deeply everybody will have felt, I try, I had to try and find a way in which the final episode dealt with the character's death, even though she hadn't died yet. So I don't know what that right. means. That'll be interesting yeah. to see how that pans out. Uh, also, also announced this week... The girl with the dragon tattoo is getting a TV series. Oh, yeah, I did see that. So I don't know quite whether it's based on that original Millennium trilogy of books or whether it's just a spin-off involving the character. Obviously, there have been new novels, not written by Steve Larson, but uh, by other ones. But yes, there is going to be a girl with dragon tattoo series. So that's uh, Amazon are working on that. On top of the original language version, the remake version, David Fincher one, yeah, uh, they're going to do another one on top of that. Yeah, I that's mean, right. Jesus Christ, because you can't okay. have enough. Well, um, no, we've had a I'll couple of cancellations. <laughs> the cancellation axe has swung. Can guess what will not be returning? 
Give us a clue. Channel. What channel? What? Um, it's Paramount what Plus. One of them at least oh. is one of oh. your favourite genre. Oh. It's something based on a film. <laughs> is it American Gigolo? It's not. That had already gone. What's the one that I interviewed? Um, oh, God. Yes, it's that one. Fatal Attraction. That's yes. it. Yes. It was Fatal Attraction. Oh. It's Fatal Attraction. Yes. Fatal, fatal attraction, attraction has been drowned in the bathtub. Unfortunately, that will not be returning for... <laughs> sorry, is, sorry. James. Too soon? Yeah. Too soon. <laughs> will not be returning. Uh, it's been it's boiled, been boiled, on boiled the in the saucepan. Yeah. It's not coming back yeah, for a second season. Uh, and also, Kiefer Sutherland's rabbit hole has also been axed. Oh, so. yeah. I thought that was oh, terrible. Yeah. I mean, I... So I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Well, sorry Kay, to... Kay may have been responsible no, sorry to everyone for involved. the cancellation Kay, of that. Kay, yeah. <laughs> Well, so you should be. Yeah, that's quite a lot of news in the end. You said you, you have having you having said there's no news because it's because it's so. Yeah, it turned out I, uh, don't, I it turned out I lied. To, yeah, it turned out I lied, and yeah, there wasn't totally news. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure massive seismic huge news will happen in the next few days before we come out. Uh, but we can talk about that next week. Shall we move on to the reviews section? And we begin this week. With the Buccaneers, an adaptation of the Edith Wharton novel, the posthumous Edith Wharton novel of the same name. Uh, and this is a bunch of American girls descend on 1870s London, upending the delicate sensibilities of the British aristocracy. Kay, did you give any bucks whatsoever about this show? Um, I would say zero bucks given. Because <gasps> yeah, I have to. I have to admit, I'm a huge fan of period dramas, and I was really excited about this one because um, it's Apple, and so obviously they would have ploughed a load of cash into it. And you can see that, like, it is very lavish, and it's beautifully the costumes and the setting, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But for me, the story just isn't strong enough. Um, I can't tell if it's that or necessarily. I don't know if it's because. It's been finished off by someone else because, you know, with Sanderton, even the Jane Austen novel that was then made into a TV series, that also wasn't Sanditon. Sanditon. Um, that also wasn't the strongest. And I don't know if there's something in the fact that they're unfinished for a reason or, you know, whatever. But this is set in 1870s, as you said, and it follows a group of young American girls who um, have loads of money, but they don't have any social standings. Um, and when we join them, one of them, Conchita, played by Alicia Bow, is getting married to an English lord. And there's this whole scene of the excitement of her getting married. And I've got to say, there's some scenes at the beginning which I found particularly excruciating, where the lead character, um, so she plays Annabelle Nan St. George, Christine uh, Frosseth. She is the one out of all of them who seems to be the most sensible and um She's sort of like not into the whole social conventions and the fact that women have to make themselves beautiful to get married and all these kind of things. And there's this flirtation she has with this guy, which I found pretty awkward. And then there's like what can only be described as a sort of a stare sequence, which made me want to pluck my eyeballs out. Um, but anyway, yes. So, I should point out stare as in staircase, not that they were just like glaring at each other. Oh, no, <laughs> it was no. the staring competition. No, yeah, sorry, a staircase, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so she gets married and then it's decided that the rest of the girls will go to London to um, take part in a, you know, one of the London seasons so that they could hook themselves a lord or, you know, someone of a noble background. Um, but obviously when they get there, there's a real culture clash and um, it doesn't go very well. I found this to be, I mean... I think what's happened is that because we've been exposed to Bridgerton, which is far superior in terms of the drama and the dialogue and all that, this doesn't sit alongside that, I don't think. Um, it's amusing. Like I found the 
the culture clash, the English-American divide, and the friction caused by that, kind of amusing. And there's some sisterly discord between Nan and her sister, who she kind of ruins her um, prospects of getting married. But other than that, I mean, Nan, as a gutsy heroine, she is a draw, but yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't taken with this. What about you guys? Well, funnily enough, just to be completely, we discussed this, didn't we? When you 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 previewed it for um, Heat Magazine, and you and you asked me to kind of think what I thought of it. And even though we don't like to, I don't like to spoil things by by ever discussing what we think of a show before we, until we discuss it now live on the pot. So I did watch the beginning of it, and I watched that scene you're referring to, the, as it shall ever forever be known as the stair the staircase scene, where they're all like just having a crazy time, yeah. And that is excruciating. That moment is excruciating. And I watched that up till that moment, which is like the first 10 minutes or whatever, five, 10 minutes of the show. And I thought, oh my God, this is this is horrendous. And you'd implied, you definitely implied that you weren't that keen on it, okay, when when you when we were talking about it. So I watched that 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 scene is I, I just think, what the fuck were they thinking? All, and there's another bit about But even before that, actually. When oh, okay. there's well, um, the outside. Well, no, that's, I, the bit where Nan climbs down the front of the building climbs to down. pick up an yes. earring. That's, that's what like, I'm talking have about. You not yeah. Heard yeah. Of a staircase. What are you doing? Yeah. Like, it's just, I mean, she knows about the staircase because well, she then goes she to does have the a thing on the yeah. But it's just like, just to show how <laughs> yeah, yeah. unconventional she is that she's going to climb down the side yeah. of a building in a dress. And I mean, <laughs> she has a meet cute. It's for a meet yeah. cute with um, Guy, the guy called Guy. Guy Guy. guy. Uh, played by Guy Guy. Guy And then, but also. Guy Thwart, thank you. Then, once they've all moved to Britain, which is the, you know, the story, the, the whole thing is about the culture clashes yeah. really, between yeah. Americans and Brits at the time. So once the, all the Yanks have moved over to Britain, there's another scene where all these girls, these women, slash young women, slash girls, are kind of writhing around, like on the floor, I think, or on a, and they're just like giggling at each other. And I thought, this is even worse than the staircase scene, <laughs> which is bad enough. <laughs> Now they're just like fucking giggling. Uh, 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 what? I don't, God knows what. And that really annoyed me. But you know what? I carried on no, watching. No, yes. Yes. Boydo. Yes. Don't tell me you love this. Hold on. Um, love is a strong word. Love is a strong But I carried on watching it to the end of the first episode and it does get better. It gets significantly better, I think. When it settles down um, and it's less, uh, there's less of this ridiculous stuff about these young women giggling and and dancing and being you know deliberately um what's the word for when it's out of time when you know it's uh um Discord. you know out of period you <laughs> know this specific, oh, right. you know the word i mean <laughs> anachronistic when they're not being deliberately you can keep, keep that in they're not being deliberately anachronistic and there's loads of anachronistic modern music as well like taylor swift true yeah uh as of course bridgerton did that first anyway but once you get, once it settles down and it stops trying to be trying too hard, which I think is the problem with the first half of the first episode, it's actually okay and quite good. And there are some bits that are funny, and there are a lot of people in the cast who are really good. I would say, and there's a bit where Mia Threepleton, oh Christina Hendricks, is in it as well. Christina Hendricks is great, yeah, of course, from Mad Men legend Mia Threepleton, um, Kate Winslet's daughter, who was brilliant in that uh, one-off with Kate. Yeah, with that's Kate, right, the I Am episode. The I Am episode. She's she's in it and she's very good. And her 
character story I think is going to be interesting. There's a bit where they do, they kind of do the, by now traditional in all period dramas, hot man emerging from water <sighs> at bit towards the end where the Duke of Tintagel, no. played, played, yeah, played by Guy Remus, emerges from the sea in Cornwall <laughs> and, you know, they have a kind of uh, flirtatious conversation with, uh, what's the name of the main character? Uh, Nan. Thank you, Nan. And you know what? I, it's it's written by um, Catherine Jakeways, who's like a comedy, uh, best known for comedy, doing comedy. And I actually think this has got the age, the age old tonal problem. But when it settles down and it doesn't try too hard to impress, and it's not trying to be like a kind of kooky Bridgerton, it's actually pretty good. And some of the dialogue is is funny, and a lot of the actors are funny, like the sporting actors, so the pompous Brits looking down upon the common Americans, all that stuff. I kind of quite enjoyed that. And it's weird that it's incredibly chaste. Like, you know, there's no, I don't, I, I have, I've only watched the first episode, but I have read a few um, reviews of what people have, journalists who watched the whole thing. And, and apparently it carries on being chaste. You know, one of Bridgerton's, the big attractions of Bridgerton that it dealt with matters of sex and sexuality very openly. This is, this gets rather coy about it. And I don't really understand what audience it's, it's aimed at because I can't imagine, you know, like 12-year-olds particularly enjoying it. Um, it seems to be purely for adults, but that's a bit of a weird thing. But in the end, I enjoyed it much more than I thought I was going to after those initial excruciating scenes of staircase action. Wow. I am, mm. I am, well, I would say I was shocked, Boydie, but I'm not shocked because yeah. I had a slightly okay. similar reaction to this in that I was rolling my eyes incredibly hard to the point where I thought they would fall out of my skull very early <laughs> on. I was just like, Jesus Christ, yeah. why am I watching this nonsense? And then it's again, despite myself, I found myself getting slightly sucked into it. And I think part of it is that I do think, honestly, that Christine, uh, Christine Frosseth is, is actually quite charming as Nan. I actually think as a central character, she's quite compelling. Yeah, uh, I very much is. enjoyed the Duke of Tintagel when he arrives. I thought that was quite fun. Yeah. Even even Matt Broom as Guy Thwart, not Guy Fawkes, but Guy Thwart. Uh, you know, all of that stuff. Like it's 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 fun. I think weirdly, this is one of these ones where I know a lot of these by certain shall we say demographics. I think colorblind casting people dislike sometimes. Certain 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 demographics don't like it because they're sticklers for kind of period accuracy. But actually, I think oh, I mean, it, it really enhances this show that they have a very diverse cast because it adds so much more texture to it and it makes it feel so much less stuffy and artificial like you like it immediately has exactly as you say from the soundtrack to the casting to the dialogue it has that sort of anachronistic pep to it where it's period relevant but it brings a touch of the modern to it to spruce it up and stop it from getting stuffy and i think that is what carries it along and that's what i think will mean that this probably broadens the target audience of this to make it skew slightly not, I don't think it skews young, but I think it opens up to a younger audience in a way that it wouldn't do otherwise um, because it's more relatable. But yeah, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I will say Catherine Jakeways, uh, who did this show, was in series two of Unforgotten. So hot fact for you there. Yes, yes. Absolutely, she was. Yeah, yeah. She's done. She's done quite a few bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Right. I think she's regular on the Tracy Orman show. But, um, but yeah, I, you know what? I, I, I thought it was okay. I did not hate it. Hate it anywhere near as much as you did, Kay. Uh, sorry. No, I didn't hate. It's not uh, hate is a very strong word. I was just, I was mildly disappointed. Yes, you gave no bucks, as you said, for the fucking ears, <laughs> or, or the completely no fucking ears. I did hold the beginning and all those scenes against it. Has Bridgerton spoiled? 
period dramas for you because unless it's just like wall to wall nookie, you're just like, why is this nonsense? No, because I'm as you recall, you you guys preferred the first season, whereas I liked the second, you which liked had less the sex. No in sex, it. second season of Bridgerton. Yeah, I I actually preferred okay, the story of that. Okay, fair enough. So that is not the reason. Nevertheless. I mean, the focus on Jonathan Bailey also helps, just to be quiet. <laughs> I knew there was a reason. <laughs> uh, well, then, The Buccaneers, which comes to Apple TV Plus on the, I'm going to guess, Friday? No, it's Wednesday. Okay, Wednesday then. Wednesday then for The Buccaneers. Uh, next up this week, we have Culprits, which is a heist series with Nathan Stewart Jarrett as a reformed crook. And it stars Gemma Arterton as a ruthless crime boss. Now, obviously looking for someone to talk about this, Boydie is the clear culprit. Uh, I've settled upon you. So did you give a fryer tuck about this Landon gangster show? <laughs> oh, my God. I think that might be your worst. <laughs> did it? Yeah. Well, nice. What if I said, did you give a fryer tuck pig? about this London gangster show. No, that's good. That's, that's good. good. Yeah, topical. Topical, yeah. Yeah. There's now a sign-up, by the way, on, on the BBC's coverage of uh, Dominic uh, Cummings saying coverage may contain expletives. So just a warning. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you could say coverage may contain um, fuck pigs. No. No, no, no. That's, that's already happened. It's too late for that. That would never not be funny. Yeah. Anyway, this is a big new Disney Plus... Um, uh, commission. It is created by J. Blakeson, a man who goes whose first name is literally the letter J, and he created um, the film The Disappearance of Alice Creed. Um, I care a lot, which was really good. Um, that I, I kind of very black comedy with Rosamund Pike, brilliant role for Rosamund Pike. Um, I really like that film. That was I think it's on Amazon Prime, isn't it? Prime Video. Oh, Jonathan Blakeson. Jonathan's his first name. And he's um, worked with Gemma Artisan before. And you mentioned she's the kind of big super villain of this thing. Slightly oddly, I think. But anyway, I mean, interestingly as well. Um, but the focus is on a character, Joe, played by Nathan Stewart Jarrett, who um, you might recognise. He was in Misfits and Utopia. He's been in loads of stuff. He's very good. And what's interesting about this is it's, it's in, in quotes, a heist thriller you know, in, in possibly in a slightly similar tone in a way to Lupin, my favourite, Lupin, Kay's favourite now as well, Lupin, dealing with heist. And similarly, in the same way that Lupin sh gives us big heist scenes and then goes back in time to explain stuff and then plays with time, this one, I mean, really goes fully on. <laughs> Kay is shaking her head, by the way. This, <laughs> this, this flip-flops all over the joint. Yeah, <laughs> the, and it goes for, like, before... After, like it's yes, very after, but it takes yeah. a turn, right? Like, like because it, it it lures you in for about fifteen minutes and then takes a proper turn. Absolutely, yeah. So, and the before and after refers to the central heist. So I think, and and the and the Jay Blakeson has said this is not a heist. It's kind of like an anti non heist because the heist itself isn't the key. It's what happened that led up to the heist that is the core of the drama, and then what happened subsequently after the heist and how the people involved in this heist literally have to change their identity and change their lives to an extraordinary degree. And particularly Nathan Stewart's, Stewart Jarrett's character, who's a gay guy, whose husband, they've got two kids. And when you first meet him, um, he's like living, living, living his best life and he's having a lovely time in America somewhere, you know, kind of idyllic time with these two kids taking them to school, picking them up, and he's having a lovely time with his whole 
husband and blah, blah, blah. Then you see his previous life. And I think it's really clever and interesting how how Jay Blakeson has set up this thing. And not, normally, as regular listeners will know, I am not entirely in favour of jumping around in time things. But I think this is all about jumping around in time. So I, I think this is totally works in this case because, because it's withholding information from you. It's almost like a heist, a puzzle box mystery meets heist because loads of characters are doing weird things, threatening each other, you know, betraying each other, going undercover or not going undercover. You know, you're constantly having the rug pulled from under you. And this is just in the first episode, by the How way. How many eps have you seen? Two. I've watched the second one. And it settles down a bit. It's a bit less active, but still carries on this very clever constantly undermining your expectations about characters and how they behave and what they do. And in the first episode, you have to go along. It's quite stretching of credulity what happens to Nathan Stewart's character because there's a whole hit and run scenario. And what he does to deal with that and yeah, Kay's. I've, I've never I've, been more stressed out by a um, right? dumpster truck. That was in my really life. stressful, yeah. but also deeply stupid. But I think that's. <laughs> but also, I loved it because because. You know, there's the whole show begins with this really sort of like graphic um, scene where this this guy who is in Italy and he's you know he's got a gunshot wound, he's running away from this like maniac with a mask on. You know, it's really brutal and violent. But ironically, the thing that I was most scared about in this whole first episode was a dumpster truck. Yeah, yeah, the dumpster truck. I'm, I'm trying not to spoil it for the listeners, but yeah, there's a dumpster truck involved and there's a whole hit and run involved and there's lots of money involved and blah, blah, blah. There's all this stuff happening and people trying to keep stuff secret from other people. But bottom line, I was absolutely gripped from from that first, as you say, that first meet, uh, scene where you don't know what the fuck is the connection between that until right at the end of the first episode where you see the connection. Um, I just thought it was really interesting and clever. I liked it. I thought it was very cinematic. You know, I was complaining a bit about a show we reviewed on Plus not being as cinematic yes, for me. Yes, you were. It was Lawman Bass Reeves. Um, oh, yeah, Lawman Bass Reeves, which I may have been slightly wrong about. But this, I think I was thinking about something like this, that right from the word go, there's an ambition to every shot and, and you know it, it just has a whole atmosphere of class and style and it feels big big budget and ambitious to me this this show the locations and the settings even like a little scene in a car you know it's kind of very well shot um by and directed by jay blexon as, as well as writing as well and the cast really interesting neve alga's in it eddie izzard's in it uh jim artin said i when i first saw this I, I, I first saw this quite a long time ago they sent me a screener for quite a long time ago and I wasn't sure whether Jim Artiston had been wildly <laughs> miscast in it as the kind of mastermind oh, sure? character <laughs> I'm still not sure I've watched it mm. again to remind myself and I'm still not sure I don't know what you guys think I, but I know no, what I, like I, I think that's the one mm. do you that's the one question mark for me I think she's fine like I think it's fine it's just it feels like I don't know like it, it like she the the character she plays is like a proper London crime boss. And it yeah. feels like, I i mean, ridiculous as it seems, I buy Helen Mirren uh, in the fast films as a, an implausible London crime boss. I wasn't entirely sold on Gemma Arterton. Uh, but that's not to say she isn't good in it. She yeah, absolutely is. I agree. I think the genius of this is the way they lull you in. Like they bring you in exactly as you said with this kind of like, it's like he's got, he's, he's living in America, he's living his best life, he's dropping his kids off at school, he's bought a little shop, he deals with microaggressions from racist police officers 
officers, but he just seems like a really down to earth, like lovely family guy. <laughs> and then you see a flashback, and you're uh-uh. like, he's fucking John Wick. Like, it's like, oh my god! Yeah. Uh, I thought that was that was brilliantly done. Kate, Kate, how did you feel about this? Yeah, I found it really gripping, and I, um, for me, the whole thing like hinges on Joe and the fact that, as you say, you just they they lure you in to think of him in a certain way, and then completely as pull that rug i i get what they're doing with all the time shifts and it you know it really benefits from it but by the end of it i was like right they really just need to stop this kind of (laughs) quit with the time hopping shit because i can't it's it was a bit too much for me like it is it is very intensive like back and forth and back and forth and like some of it is completely necessary for those kind of twists and turns but some of it i'm just like it's just a bit exhausting, I found. But they did have a useful narrative device to help you, which is the time audition yeah. of the follicles of time, whereby the character in the past has a completely different length hair to they have in the present, uh, which I thought was a lot of fun. <laughs> it's like, okay, fine. So we know exactly where he is because his hair is completely different. And also just the useful before mm. and after. It, there's that too. Admittedly, that is also a giveaway. There's that yes. as well. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. They do. And they literally tell you sometimes how many years before and after. Yeah. Well. It's like. It's, it's, it's very clearly spelled What was that out. TV show? Was it but, Cruel you know. Summer? Where they have the different timelines. And in each timeline, they have yeah. wildly yeah, 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 different yeah. hair oh, and God. makeup. Just to make it absolutely <laughs> yeah. clear. And then they put that a different filter on the lens as well. So there's yeah. no ambiguity about which time period you're in at any given yeah. time. And there's breeders where they don't put the date. Oh yeah, up. which is when, and everyone looks exactly the same. Yes, that's very confusing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I, the other thing I thought was really refreshing was Nathan Stewart Gerrard. I, th- I think you know, like he's been a lot of like ensemble type shows, and he's been. You know, but to him, him to be the lead in this, I think it's great. And he he's really, really good. good, and his story really is really good. He's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Agreed. Agreed, indeed. Now this is mm. this is Disney Plus, isn't it? And it lands on the. <laughs> Can you guess? Oh, okay. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna say it's on the same day. I'm gonna say it's on Wednesday. Yeah, You're correct. Yes, pretty much all every single Disney Plus yeah. thing is on a Wednesday, except Home uh, Emerge at the End of the World, which we'll be reviewing next week, is starts on the Tuesday. Oh, okay. does it now? Yeah. Well, Carpet then Wednesday Disney Plus. Finally, this week we're going back to the eighties. 80s Oz, in fact, for season two of the Newsreader. Oh, that was terrible. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I've gone, I've gone full accent. This is the Australian TV series about the dalliances and dramas of a pair of TV anchors. So imagine the morning show without its truths and the occasional marsupial. So, so that's good. Uh, Kay, would you give a Castle Main 4X for anything <laughs> oh, no, else? No, James, take it back. <laughs> Like I apologize, I apologize to all of our to, yeah, Antipodean exactly. listeners who have basically just cancelled their subscriptions. I don't know how I missed this the first time round, but I watched the whole of the first series last week, and it's just—I'm really surprised because, as you know, I've become really obsessed with it, all things Australian, and this is just another brilliant Australian offering, um, an overlooked great drama, I think, and dissecting the machinations of a network news show. I think it's probably got overlooked because then everyone's just jumped on, you know, with. The morning show and everyone's obsessed with that but this is really a fantastic offering i think that people should get on board with so for anyone who didn't see the first series um all you need to know is helen the great anna torv and jeff who's played by robert taylor are the main news anchors who have a very dysfunctional relationship jeff is a misogynist um and an alpha male who sort of uses his experience to belittle helen and overrule her um, and he's always lobbying to have the lead stories. And Helen is this t- tenacious, dynamic journalist who wants to cover sort of 
not alternative stories, but like she wants to cover single mums and the HIV AIDS crisis, um, but is oppressed by Jeff and also their ratings obsessed, slightly sinister boss, Lindsay. Um, and she's highly emotional and is constantly sort of on the precipice of a breakdown and they kind of weaponize that and use it against her. Anyway, so the other character you need to know about is Sam Reed's character of Dale. He is the young pretender. He's very passionate and an empathetic producer. Um, who dreams of becoming a newsreader but stumbles at the first hurdle. And, you know, he's got his own personal struggles to deal with. Um, and in the first series, Dale, Dale and Helen sort of enter into a relationship of sorts, which just adds another layer of tension. Anyway, season two is brilliant because it opens up on election night and Jeff and Helen and Dale are all going head to head in opposing election night shows. And it is just carnage. It's hugely stressful and they're basically fighting over getting the best politicians. And also in the case of um, Dale and Helen, they have the added pressure of knowing that their obnoxious CEO is watching them and life critiquing their skills, which, you know, Lindsay and Dennis, who's a head producer, aren't handling very well. I just, I honestly really like this show because I just think it's such a like it's not super glossy like the morning show, but I think it's gritty and realistic. And I just think it's probably quite an accurate portrayal of a local newsroom that's constantly in the state of flux and where there's constant backbiting and, and everything. And I just really like the character development of all of them because I think they're on such different journeys. I know everyone hates that word, but even the peripheral characters are, you know, on their own paths and have and are as important as the main ones. So, like, I really particularly love the producer, Nolene, who's played by Michelle Davison, and the sports presenter, Rob, um, Stephen Peacock. And, yeah, I just think it's great. If you haven't watched it, please give it a go. Um, I think it's all available, isn't it, to watch on BBC iPlayer? Yeah. Top marks from me. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's funny how many of these type of things there are, you know, down the years, whether it's the newsroom, broadcast news, which I always bang on about as being one of my favourite films of all time, the morning show, this, there's probably others that I've forgotten that deal that are set in newsrooms and that incorporate kind of real press events. Press gang. Press gang, yeah. Of course, yeah. Incorporate real events into the tissue, the narrative tissue of the show. But this does it very well. Um, I think it's really, it's, it feels very authentic, even though, you know, obviously I wasn't watching Australian television in the 80s. But it feels like if Australia did have TV, which it did in the 80s, this is what it would have been like. And the depictions of 80s culture are really funny. Like there's this character in the first episode called Jerry Carroll, who's like a variety show host who they drag in to appear on their election coverage, who's completely inappropriate and just wants to make jokes about stuff and be really smug and kind of advance his career, basically. And we first see him with all these dancing girls in the studio of his show. And everyone's really annoyed. Like the, the serious news readers are annoyed that he's in kind of in invading their show, their serious news coverage of the election. But I thought it was really funny. And there's a very interesting thing that happens at the end of that episode with him that, you know, that I thought was, uh, and that, the character, the way it deals with, Bisexuality, etc., is fascinating and quite rare to see that depicted on TV. I thought that was really interesting. And as you say, Anna Torv is an absolute, particularly, is brilliant and is an absolute legend. And uh, she was in Mindhunter, of course, or you know, which is all in caps. So I always think you're supposed to shout the name Mindhunter after yeah. D David Fincher's legendary. Lest we forget, also the star of Fringe, Anna the glorious sci-fi procedural. 
Absolutely. She's been in so much brilliant stuff. Um, uh, but to see her in her native Australian context and doing this role, who's very different. I've seen interviews with her, you know, and kind of loads of, and she, she's just a She's just absolutely brilliant. And to see her doing this role is fantastic. It's a brilliant showcase for her. And it's just a really interesting, if you're interested in the media and if you're interested in news and the way it's covered and, and, and the 80s and everything, the whole thing is just a fascinating, um, I'm going to use the word milieu. <laughs> Please don't use the word milieu. <laughs> well, it's too late. Uh, it's very difficult to portray media in that way and make it accessible, but also sort of make it interesting. And like, obviously, the newsroom did it to greater and lesser extent. I really like it. No one else does. Uh, you know, the morning show does it very, very well. The events taking place here. Uh, in this first episode is obviously an Australian election, which I knew nothing about at the time. But it's also going to cover in this particular second season the uh, split up of Charles and Diana is going to be one of the major news things that they cover as well. So obviously that's going to be relevant stuff that we may or may not remember, depending on our age. Um, but it's but it is fascinating, and yet while Sam Reed is incredible, like and in he you know steals the scenes in Interview with the Vampire as Lestat here, Anna Torv is. Absolute MVP. That's like Sam Reed is great. Really love Sam Reed. I think he's fantastic in this. I think they're both actually really, really good to watch. But she really is extraordinary in this. The the emotions are never far from the surface with her. Don't you feel that she's always on the brink of something big? Well, there's that always that sense that she's dealing with being a woman in a very male-dominated yes. industry when females, you know, adopting what are traditionally thought of as male attributes, like being aggressive, just because she's doing her job as a reporter. It's like she's too aggressive because they, you know, it's again, it's that whole uh, tricky thing about women being called bossy when they start being a boss. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting as well. Well, they really explore that in the first season. And yeah, microaggressions as well, a bit similar to Nathan oh, Stewart God, yeah. dealing with yeah. it, dealing with the racist microaggressions in culprits. There's a lot about the, fem- uh, you know, women's the microaggressions, misogynistic ones. Uh, in this, I thought was very clever. So yeah, good show. I was uh, I was completely sucked in by the end of this, even if I did not know who. Uh, well, and actually, to be fair, I did know at least one of the Australian politicians in the uh, in the election they were talking about. I thought it was quite interesting. The whole thing hinges on old fashioned reporting, whether or not using you know a little bit of political nous, you know, and a little bit of basic mathematics to predict an election versus a newfangled eighties computer system that promised to yeah. you know chew up the results and spit up the answer within 15 minutes and then, you know, as expected, it all goes horribly wrong. It's really weird because I watched the newsreader and then switched on. I watched an episode of Veep and it was the one where she's, you know, waiting Mm. for the tense results and it was tackling exactly the same thing. Um, which remind me how much I love Veep. <laughs> love Veep, don't trust technology. That's the uh, the moral here. The newsreader then, which lands on BBC iPlayer in its entirety. When, Boydie? Thursday. You can watch it live on BBC Two at nine o'clock on Thursday and, and the whole thing available from iPlayer on that day as well. Well, that was well, the newsreader. What else is out this week, Boydie? Now, there is one big release that people will notice we have not covered on this particular podcast. Yeah, you've Wait, done that thing. It's yeah. classic. What's on? What else is on this week, Boyd? I'm going to tell you. Go on, tell us. Well, <laughs> Do you know what's even... i tell you what's even more funny about this is that Boyd was swigging a drink when he said it, so he stopped yeah. drinking to answer yeah. and then you replied anyway. That's true. It's true. We have not covered season four of Apple TV's for all mankind. And to tell, tell the listeners why, selfishly, James, <laughs> we haven't done this. Totally selfishly. Go on. I suggested it and Boyd was having absolutely none of it. It was absolutely shocking, to be honest with you. 
No, pull back the curtain and tell them I the truth. I may or may not you little, have you little not toad. got up to date yet. Lazy, lazy, lazy. I watch it lazy. because I'm not up to date. I'm so Just, sorry. However, however, I will say this, and that is that we have yet to decide on what we're going to review on the next Pilot TV Plus. So there's a every possibility we'll end up talking about it on pilot plus uh i don't know what we're going to do on this week's pilot plus we haven't actually discussed it yet because obviously it's a very long way off at this stage as we record um but uh who knows we may talk about it then but if not at some point we will get back to this maybe boy have you have you watched for all mankind season four i yet? may have done i may have I've, i have may have watched the first episode yes yes okay no, okay I, okay I, I think so, as, yeah <laughs> I mean, is it embargoed? Do you want to talk about I, it now? I, I forgot. I can't remember whether it's embargoed or not, to be honest. So, um, okay. It may be embargoed, so we're not going to talk be embargoed. about it at the yeah. moment. But what we'll do is we'll either talk about it on Pilot Plus or we'll mention it on next week's show uh, as we go on. Uh, and Boydie can talk about it then when we're definitely past the embargo, if indeed it is embargoed. Uh, so we'll see. That was all very complicated. Inside Baseball. Anything else this week? Yes, James. There's the second series of the rather excellent, although I remember you not particularly thinking so, Hellraisers, Hellraisers even, Hellraisers on Channel 4. I know Kay is a fan, aren't you, Kay? Yeah, I really like the first series. There you go. Confirmation. As I said, Kay is a fan. She's checking her emails, but you know. Um, <laughs> that is back on Channel 4. People listen to hate what we were saying, like, don't they? Like, but you know, it's fine. Anyway, Hellraisers, season two, series two even, Channel 4, Thursday, 10 p.m. There's also um, there's also the Santa Clauses on Disney Plus on Wednesday, which I never watched the um, original series of this, but this did really well apparently. Tim Allen's in it, um, and a lot of people like it. Um, there's this mad show, 007 Road to a Million, which oh, I mentioned yeah. in news oh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. This actually Brian starts Cox. on Prime. Yeah, this starts on Prime Video on Friday and is a reality TV competition thing spun off from and a part of the James Bondiverse and it's officially approved and exec produced by Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson that you know the people who run James Bond. It's it's the first fruit of Amazon buying MGM who have the rights to the James Bond films. And this is the first thing they've done with the fact that they now own James Bond is create this maverick kind of like cross between race across the world and James Bond films basically. It's duos going around the world with a series of challenges, and then Brian Cox, in, and also a bit like the, the the Apprentice, Brian Cox is like the boss of it all, telling them what to do and following them around, and it's bonkers. And that is starting on Friday, the tenth of November. W seven Road to Million. I think I partly think we should review that maybe because it sounds so no. mad. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, no. <laughs> what you mean on Pilot Plus? Review that instead. Maybe uh, I don't know. Well, anyway, we haven't settled on anything, so no. we will discuss it. <laughs> it's potential. Anyway, that's crackers. And the final thing I was going to mention is the new series of Louis Theroux interviews starts on. Uh, it's not you know. It's it, actually I think ages ago we used to review Louis Theroux documentaries, didn't we? On this at, at the behest mainly of Terry, who <laughs> she may or may not have insisted <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> yeah, she did. Anyway. His interview series is back on Tuesday, uh, BBC Two, nine o'clock, with Anthony Joshua, the very famous uh, boxer. I think that's okay. about it. Yeah, exciting times. What is our pick of the week? Mine is um, ooh, it's between culprits. I, no, I'm going to go newsreader. I'm going to go culprits. 
Mine would probably be culprits as well, but I did enjoy the newsreader of deal, and I didn't hate the Buccaneers. So actually, you know, mm, no, not I, not not unhappy with uh, the offerings concur. this week. In a rare, there you go, a rare moment of agreeance. Well, good, good. We hope you've enjoyed that. Uh, if you would like to subscribe to Pilot Plus to hear more of this, please do so for the bargain price of two ninety nine a month. You can subscribe over emperorlandcom slash Pilot TV uh, to help us keep the lights on around these parts. Um, if you would like to head over to Apple Podcasts or the platform of your choice, feel free to do so and leave us a five fuck pig rating um also if you want to follow us on social media we are at james cedar at boyd hill at k ribera and mm-hmm. at pilot tv pods which is very, very exciting now next week i'm not gonna lie guys there's a lot on so next week murder at the end of the world begins. yes lazarus project season two yes that returns the crown season six get down with the crown the final season is it the final season it is the final yep. season is it not the final season the first part of the final the first, season that's what i'm getting confused by it's the first part of the final season telling you now we will not be reviewing that because that's heavily embargoed excellent well that makes my life easier monarch yep. legacy of monsters the godzilla verse yes. show on apple plus is next week and scott <laughs> pilgrim takes off when you can finally oh hear God. what i think of that case shaking her head but both Scott Pilgrim and Monarch are shoo-ins for next week's show. Sorry, Kay, you're just going to have to get on with it. I think I'm going to be sick. Classic. Classic behaviour. Classic fascist dictatorship. Do you know what? Yeah, exactly. He's a, mo- yeah. He's a monster. He's yeah. a and legacy bit- of monsters. <laughs> yeah. James Dyer, legacy of the monsters. Yeah. Excellent. Uh. Excellent. Well, you can look forward to that. Uh, and we'll see you in your ears on Thursday for Pilot Plus. Until then, however, pilot out. <laughs>